Festival again? Uh, yay. All right. Oh, thank you. Yes. All right. So to begin, <clears throat> I want to start with an illustration from a movie, from a Christopher Nolan movie called Interstellar. Anyone seen Interstellar? Okay. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, I won't give anything away, but uh, just enough so that I can illustrate my point. But in the movie, uh, the people of Earth, they find themselves in a dying world, and uh, NASA, who's been operating in secret for decades, has sent these 12 or so astronauts to different places throughout space. And meanwhile, they're getting all these signals from three of the planets out of the dozen or so that they sent. So this is where Matthew McConaughey's character comes in, and he gets chosen to be the astronaut to lead the team. And... Uh, they decide to go on this mission to visit three of those planets that are still sending promising signals. So on the first stop, they go, they land, they, and they kind of try to explore, but something bad happens, and then now they're back, and they're reconvening, and they're having to decide, okay, we only have enough time and resources to visit one of the remaining two planets. What do we do? And so uh, there they are discussing the pros and cons of which planet to visit. Now, the two planets are uh, inhabited by Dr. Edmonds and Dr. Mance. And so um, they're trying to decide who to go to. And Dr. Brand, who is played by Anne Hathaway, um, she's, like, pushing for Dr. Edmonds' um, planet. And she's, like, you know, saying, okay, these are the good reasons why we should go there. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And so, um, meanwhile, they discover that the reason she wants to go there is because she's in love with Dr. Edmonds. Okay. So I'm going to just briefly read the, the transcript of the dialogue uh, just to kind of illustrate this point. <clears throat> I'll put it in my best acting voice. Um, Anne Hathaway's character, Brand says, Okay, so listen to me when I tell you that love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. Why shouldn't it mean something? And then Cooper, played by Matthew McConaughey, says, It means social utility, child rearing, social bonding. And then Brand replies, We love people who've died. There's, where's the social utility in that? Maybe it means more, something we can't understand yet. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of higher dimensions that we can't con consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen for a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing that we can't, uh, we're, we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that even if we can't yet understand it. It's a very touching uh, scene ish kind of but um anyway again i'm not giving you any uh spoilers but just wanted to illustrate that point about love right love what is uh, um you know this is a topic that's been on my mind uh for obvious reasons these days but uh um but it, that's not why you know i'm talking about this i really felt like <laughs> um i've got a very special guest visiting but uh <laughs> uh that's not why I'm, I've been meditating on this for a while. I felt like God really had this for our community. But yes, love. Let me, let me talk about it for a bit. It makes everything interesting. It's the subject of films, books, music. We can't really quantify it, but everyone knows what it is. And in this movie, one scientist, it causes one scientist to want to go across the universe to visit just this possibility of her love, her seeing her love once again. And like planetary bodies, it's almost as if God, like, built it into this universe, right? They're, like, here we are on this, like, tiny little planet in this, like, vast space, and all of these, like, planetary bodies are there doing whatever they do, which largely, as far as I understand, are just being gravitational, right? Um, 
It's like God built it into his creation and said, look at everything and said, that's like my essence, like love. Just things being drawn together. Isn't that a crazy thought? I mean, it's just a little thought that I had, but I wanted to share that. But yeah, so if we could boil it down, love is in a sense that force, the motivation, uh, the thing that causes two or more beings to want to be drawn closer together, just like the planets to a very rudimentary degree. So our main text for today, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, is a letter written by John the Beloved, a.k.a. John Apostle, Apostle John. Uh, The way he writes, it's very peculiar. It's not like the way Paul writes. It's not like logical. Uh, It's more like, I I can't even call it poetic. Even poetry has like some structure to it. But the way John writes is just very erratic. It's like all over the place. He goes off in this direction, comes back. But the one thing, or there are a few things that we can kind of draw out of his writings um, from this letter, 1 John. I don't think he called this letter 1 John. I think he just wrote it. We call it 1 John. Uh, But some of the things that we can take out of it are faith, obedience, and love. These are like three of the main kind of themes that come out of this letter. Now today, I I obviously want to touch on love, but I also want to touch a bit on this idea of faith and how it relates to love. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So for those of you who've been here for the past few weeks, uh, we've been going through this uh, sermon series on Galatians. And Galatians is basically laying out the gospel for us in a very simple way that says, uh, you cannot work your way into salvation. It is only by grace through faith. Uh, No works that you do can contribute to your justification with your rightness with God. And I think uh, most of us uh, that uh, have gone to church kind of have this understanding of our faith. So, again, I want to explore this idea of love within Christianity. Uh, and, and particularly how it relates to faith. So if you're taking notes, uh, I just want to kind of lay out three points, three main points, uh, kind of drawn from this text, but also not necessarily from this text, but uh, it all connects. Uh, bear with me. Uh, the first point I want to make is that faith is just the start. Faith is just the start. So um, according to James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, uh, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay? So we're looking at what faith is not, according to James. So faith, according to the scripture, isn't merely the intellectual acknowledgement of Jesus. Did you know demons believe in Jesus too? Isn't that crazy? And they shudder. They hate him. The mental affirmation of Jesus as a son, they have that, but they are enemies with the Lord. And did you know that you could have the appearance of spirituality with no substance? You could know the Bible inside and out, but be far from God. So in the gospel account of Jesus being tested in the wilderness, uh, Satan himself, the devil, uses scripture. Uh, He might actually have the Bible memorized better than any of us, to be honest, right? Uh, Satan knows it. It's not like this, there's this kind of misconception that uh, scripture is like kryptonite to Satan. But it's not. Satan is like, I, I, can, I can mess around with it. I can actually spit scripture right back at you. Uh, Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, you know that phrase, paying lip service. It comes from these verses. So this, ba- this passage in James, um, it's talking about how if you have faith, your deeds will follow. Okay? I think we've all come across this uh, 
I'm not going to read it, but if you're taking notes, you can jot it down and check it later. But I want to ask this question. Could it be possible to have faith and deeds, okay, faith and deeds, but it not be of God? Is that a possibility? I think there are two ways we can break this down. You could have the mental assent that the mechanism for salvation is belief in Jesus Christ, and then start to act like a Christian in love, deeds, faith and deeds, uh, or what looks like it, as a reaction in fear with the goal of salvation. Okay? You can have the faith and the deeds, the mental assent, the deeds, the actions, but act in fear. Okay? And I don't think that's what God wants. I don't think that's the faith that God is talking about. On the other hand, you could also, and I think this is the correct response, you could have the deeds that reflect your faith as, with, with love as the motivator. Love as the motivator. So you can, you can be motivated out of fear or love. Okay? Uh, so we know that deeds do not uh, help with our salvation and that faith without deeds is dead. We know this. And it's an interesting thing because it almost seems contradictory. Uh, this is what we would call a paradox. Okay? Faith and deeds actually go hand in hand. Uh, you can't really have one without the other in, in, the, in the right sense. It's just the nature of it. So what do our actions reflect? What kind of God do we worship? Do our deeds show that God is a savior and nothing else? If that's the case, then we're seeing God as insurance hellfire. Hellfire insurance, sorry. A means to an end, right? Is God just a means to an end? Or do we do acts of love, acts of love in, in quotations, uh, and do, do them out of our fear to appease God? So we are saved by grace through faith. Our deeds reflect our faith, and love ought to be the motivator. So I want, I want it to be clear that, um, that love is not what will save us, okay? This is what we've, we've been kind of going over in Galatians. You cannot love God enough to be saved. You cannot love your way into salvation. Um, you, can love God, you can love God to an extent, but you still have to deal with your sins. You still have to make that connection with God. And we can go so far as to even say that uh, we cannot love God on our own. We cannot do it. Our passage makes it very clear. Uh, in verse 10, it says this. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So my main point here being that the order is very clear. He loved us first, and then he sent his son as a sacrifice, and then we received it, and then now we are able to freely love him. Oh, I always do this. I lose track of my pages. <clears throat> okay, so um, okay, so you cannot love an idea, right? You can't love an idea. Uh, I'll, I'll tie this in just in just a second, but let me just illustrate this point real quick. You can't love an idea. You can't. You can ha um, unless you have an actual relationship and an understanding of who God is as a person, as one who wills and loves, we cannot love God in the truest sense. Every person has an understanding of God. It says in Romans 1.18, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So scripture even tells us that everyone knows God to some extent, right? But we don't actually know God until we are in relationship with him. So to illustrate this point, I have a friend uh, who many years ago was dating. He was dating this girl, and he would... He had this sort of ideal in his head of what kind of a girl that he liked. Okay, he had this ideal. I think everyone has some sort of idea of, you know, what they like or whatever. But he was, like, very clear, like, oh, I like, I like girls like this and like this. And then, so, he was dating this girl, and then I'd be like, hey, so why do you like this girl? Why do you like her? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, um, she doesn't, you know, uh, she doesn't spend so much time putting on makeup or doing her hair. I spend more time doing my hair than her, you know, like, he... You know, he, he lists all these basically anti-attributes, all these things that she wasn't. And then finally, I was like, hey, bro, uh, do you actually like this girl? And I don't think he could really give me a clear answer. So what I came to find was that he liked the idea of her, but he didn't actually like her. You get what I'm saying? You can have the idea of something or someone. You can, you can be like, oh, th- check, check, check. Uh, I don't know, like, he's six foot tall, check. He's uh built like a, a rock, check, uh, loves the Lord, check. You can, you can, like, all these things can check off, but you might not like the person at the end of the day. And it's kind of like that, right? It's like everyone has this idea of God, but they don't actually know God, and they can't actually love God because there's no real relationship there. We all have this attribute of God that we like, this idea of a Savior God who lets us do what we want. Isn't that what we all want, kind of, Right? But that's not God. So, I'm not saying that Christians have a, like a complete monopoly on love and that love is absolutely impossible unless you're a Christian. Um, yeah, lo- God's love can manifest in, in many ways. There's like common grace, right? Um, and even sometimes, atheists can put us to shame in, in showing love, you know, as Christians. Um, and so, we, I don't think we should approach this with pride, but with humility, So to go back to the order of things, God loved, God gave his son, we believe and receive his grace, and then we are enabled to love God because we are in relationship. Again, this order is very important. It's like going home, okay, hey, hi, honey, I'm home, and then you take out your key, stick it in the door, you turn it, and you open the door, right? It works the other way. You can't say, hi, honey, I'm home, until you've opened the door. Faith is like the doorway that allows you to have that access to that open relationship. You cannot love your way into this relationship, okay? Okay, so um, also another point is that we are, not, uh, uh, we are not only incapable of loving God, but we can't actually fully appreciate our love of God until we've received his salvation, Okay? Only when we really understand the depths of our sins and only when we've been taken out of that can we truly have an understanding of who God is and, ha- and his great love for us. God is a personal God. God is meant to be loved by us. And his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is, in essence, a God of relationship. Faith is merely the entry point of that. My next point... Uh, we were made to love God. So if you're taking notes, we were made to love God. Sorry. So um, the love of God, there's no other love that we long for so deeply. In Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. 
My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Later on in the verse, it says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. It's like that verse that, that always kind of, I always had to wrestle with that verse, deep cries to deep. What does that mean? You know that song, deep cries out to deep cry. Like, it's a very happy song, but that, that psalm is like, there's like anguish in it. It's like this eternal anguish of, ah, there's something missing that I can't put my finger on. Something deep within me is crying out to something deep that is just not being filled. There's this eternal love that we are crying out for that we do not know. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I like to quote this a lot. It says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. <laughs> I mean, we could just as easily say we were made for God, right? We were made for God. There's this eternal longing within us that there's this relationship, something that we're missing. Jesus tells us that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. I want to focus on that first part, to love God. God is good, amen? Amen. Everyone says amen. Um, God is also all-knowing, right? God is good, and he's also all-knowing. He's omniscient. So if he's good and he's all-knowing, we can conclude that whatever he commands us to do is going to be good for us, right? He doesn't tell us to do something that is malicious, so when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind, and strength, that's a good thing for us. He said that with our good in mind. The thing we have to understand is God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need it in the sense that we need food. Uh, so a while back, I, I kind of came across this, this article. Uh, it was talking about, like, you know, you ever come across these articles on Facebook, people talking about, like, Christian songs that you shouldn't sing in church and why? And it's, like, super logical. It's like, uh, what's that song? What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. And then that verse, it says, uh, you, you, you didn't want heaven without us. And then, like, they'd be, like, critiquing. It's like, oh, like, does that mean that God was, like, not satisfied with himself? Like, no, I don't think so. The, <laughs> you know? Like, the, I don't think you had to attack that, that song because, you know, it's not like it said, God, it, you couldn't have heaven. It says he didn't want Okay, God does what he wants because he's God, right? Um, but yeah, I think the implication is that, oh, there's this danger that, like, someone could misinterpret that, which is fine. You want to be careful about the things you sing. But, yeah, God didn't want. He didn't want because he's God. He can do what he wants, right? Uh, he didn't want heaven without us, but he didn't need us. He didn't need us. So we know that God is Trinitarian, he is in love with himself, fully satisfied from eternity unto eternity. And, you know, when God is satisfied with himself, that's a good thing. You know, when God says, love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is a good thing. It's good for us. And, you know, that's, it's right. It's right for us to do that. But, like, could you imagine a person being like, love me? You know? Like, they come into the room, they got this mirror, and they're like, ooh, oh, wow, look at that. The way that the light shines off of my skin, my bone structure. Look at my biceps. Look at my resume. Ooh, I'm so pretty. I'm too hot, right? <laughs> um, it doesn't feel right when someone does that kind of thing because, you know, 
we know in our heart that people are not perfect. They, they don't deserve all the worship. But with God, it's good. God deserves the worship, and it's good that we worship him. He's not like junk food. In the moment, junk food is amazing. Pringles, MSG, mm, salt, garlic, right? But then you keep doing that, in a few hours you're going to feel it. You guys ever have, like, carb headaches? If you, like, try to eat healthy, you don't eat carbs for a while, and then you kind of binge a little bit, and then you get this headache. You're like, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have done that, right? God's not like that. You can indulge in him. You can worship. You can, you can just dive in, and it's not a bad thing. So, um, again, I just kind of re- want to reiterate this point. So, I was saying about how this passage, like John, he, he writes very erratically. I, I kind of feel like I'm taking on his writing style a little bit. So uh, bear with me. But uh, if you just kind of read it and meditate on it, it's like, it's good. But um, I want to I kind of draw for you another illustration. Um, so, so God, right? Jesus, he's known as Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to be with us. It's not like he needed us, right? I already made that point. Um, it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then it tells us the process of the gospel. But it was because of love that he did it. Could you imagine, imagine this, a couple. Okay, we're talking about love. I can make this analogy. There's a couple. Guy likes this girl, woos her brings her flowers, cooks for her, walks her to the door after every date. The girl loves his cooking. (laughs) Um, He serves her, um, makes all these overtures of love. One day... They propose, one day he proposes, uh, she says an emphatic yes, everyone claps, celebrates, uh, they get married, the priest pronounces them, you are now, I pronounce you husband and wife, and then they go on their honeymoon, they, they go to their new home, they open the door, as soon as he walks into the door, he shuts the door and says, ah, game over, I won, I am finished. Get me a sandwich. You know, like, no, no, right? That, what kind of relationship would that be? It does not end there, Right? If anything, married people, please tell me. That's the beginning, right? That's the beginning, which I know nothing of. <laughs> right? Like could, you, like, could you imagine if your husband did that? Like, like what kind of marriage is that? I feel like a lot of times we, we treat our relationship with God in a similar way, right? We have this grace that we receive. It's like, okay, game over. I'm one. He bought me. He bought me with the blood of Christ. I don't have to do anything for him. I would say that that person is abusing that relationship. So we were made for God and we were made to be in relationship with him. Again, faith is just the starting point. It is not just to be saved. God is meant to be loved. And in loving him, we find our worth. In loving him, we find our joy, our completion. We were made to love him. My last point is simply this. God is love. God is love. If there's anything 
uh, that's repeated here in the, in the verses that we've read. God is love. It comes up two times. Um, God is love. I hear this a lot. You guys have heard this before, right? I mean, it's in the Bible, so of course you've heard it. But even non-Christians will say this. God is love. You guys ever hear, like, non-Christians, non-believers say this kind of thing? God is love. Many will say that religions, they all point to the same thing. If you, if you find the common denominator in all of them, it is love. Relativists, atheists, they'll say this kind of thing. Buddha, Allah, Brahma, Jesus, they're all the same. They, they all, they're all just prophets of God. Love. That's the message at the end of the day, right? That's what they'll say. Follow the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the main point of religion, they will say. Now, that teaching, the golden rule, isn't a bad thing. It's in the Bible. It's not, a te- it's not a bad teaching in and of itself. But we can't make this the ultimate teaching. See, Christianity is not fundamenta- fundamentally a matter of morality. It's not a self-help, help, bleh, self-help book um, that says we can do better. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about making the world a better place. All these things, yes, they do happen as a result. These are side effects of believing in Jesus. But that is not the main point. The Christianity says that we were so depraved, we could do nothing apart from God to contribute to our salvation. We were dead in our sins. We were dead. We cannot somehow climb our way out of that into heaven with our good works not even with our acts of love. And, you know, it's not like we, we know how to do this, you know. Um, in, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus showed us what love is. The Bible tells us many things about love. Uh, First of all, in the Greek, there are those four words, phileo, eros, agape, storge. And then furthermore, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about love. It's patient, kind, do not envy, doesn't boast, uh, it isn't proud, it's not self-seeking, and so on. It never fails. Uh, One thing we do know about love, though, is that it requires sacrifice. And who shows the best example of this but Jesus? Love has a name. His name is Jesus. So I'm talking about love. Um... I dare say that the essence of Christianity, the very essence of it is love. It's a relationship with God. And I think um, over the last few weeks, it just kind of dawned on me, like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's good to have this starting point of faith. But if we end there, it's like, all, it's like, ah, you know, it's like that person who gets married and then just stops caring, right? Um, but there's this, so much more after that, this relationship that we have with God. See, faith is the mechanism that allows us to reestablish that lost connection with God, but all for the purpose of love. Again, John 3.16, it says, He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But what does he start with? He says, so, for, for God so loved the world. That part is very important. It's because of love that he did this. It's because of love. So what is Christianity just another of a multitude of religions that teaches about love? No, and I'd say, I'd go even further and say it's the only one. It's the only one. Why? Because every other religion, every other belief system will say, do this. Love, 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 love. Do, 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 do. Make it up to here. Make it up to here. Then we can call that love. Then I will love you. 
But, but in Christianity, we say, actually, you, you could never contribute anything to this salvation. You could never love God enough to reestablish that connection. In Romans 5.8, it says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing good within us that should merit God to love us. This is love. He didn't just like the idea of us. He didn't just like the idea of us, but he came and connected with us because he actually loved us. He knows us, and still he loves us. So here's something that we have to realize. The cost of salvation wasn't cheap. We have to be careful not to cheapen it. Because for our part, it's free. Right? We receive that freely. Amen? Yeah, God paid for it. Jesus paid for it. We're free. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are set free from our sins. But we have a tendency to forget that great cost because we didn't see the bill. We didn't see the bill, so we don't really understand. But in Matthew 5, chapter 26, verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And this is right before he's arrested, right before the chain of events that leads to his crucifixion. And in Luke's account, it says, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was under a lot of anguish. Why? I mean, yeah, knowing that there's a crucifixion coming could make anyone sweat, Right? Um, but I don't think it was just that. What was going on in this scene that was causing Jesus to stress so much? He was saying, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays this three times. What is the significance of this prayer? What is the significance of this prayer? Well, we know that the cup that he's referring to is the cup of wrath, as mentioned in several places throughout the Bible. But to, na- to list a few, Isaiah 51, 17, Jeremiah 25, 15, Revelation 14, 9 to 10, Matthew 26, 39. They talk about the wrath of God. The cup equals the wrath of God. This is the full punishment of sin that Jesus was about to take for humanity. Yeah, I'm sure the crucifixion contributed to his distress. But the agony wasn't just coming from that. It was coming from the anticipation of the cup of wrath that he was about to drink. You know that moment on the cross when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he was experiencing the rejection of the Father as he'd been tainted with the sin of the world. So we know that the penalty of sin is death and that the result of that is separation from God. We need to backtrack a little bit. Throughout our text, we read God is love. In verse 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 16, it says God is love. Whoever lives in love loves in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So twice in our text, it mentions this, that God is love. It's an easy thing to say without really understanding. It's an easy thing for, for relativists and theists or uh, atheists to say, or any atheist. But these claims would be largely empty to say God is love. To really get a sense of what this phrase, God is love, means, we have to understand the nature of God. Now, if I were to create my own religion, 
come to church and hear the preacher say something like that. It's a little weird, but uh, I'm making a point here, so bear with me. If I were to create my own religion, I might want to say that God is a mono, monotheistic God. He's one, right? Because any uh, relativism, polytheistic, subjective kind of approach kind of falls in its own right. Um, if you've taken any philosophy or logic courses, you can kind of look into that. But under those parameters, I might arrive at something like, I don't know, say like Islam. Like in Islam, it's like purely monotheistic God in this sense, right? It's, it's completely logical, right? But then we couldn't really say that God is love. Because then we'd have to ask the question, if God is love and he was completely, utterly monotheistic in that sense, who was he loving before he ever created anything? We could never say that God is love in that sense. We could only say God loves, God learned love, or God is loving. But we could never say that God is love because that's not his essence if he's completely utterly monotheistic in that sense. And this is the wisdom and, and the, the majesty of God is that he is Trinitarian. He was in community before creation ever began. He was in unity, in love, before creation began and will be for all of eternity. And so when, we got to come back to this. When Jesus, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we see then is sort of a mirroring of the crucifixion within the Godhead himself, that God was broken on our behalf, what that that brokenness that we were supposed to experience, the separation from the Father that Jesus took on for us, he experienced that. He was broken. God was broken for us. And it's not just that he, we, there's this public display. Yes, God did do that. Jesus dis- defeated Satan on the cross and made a public display of it. But at the same time, what happened was there was this like metaphysical, supernatural, like at the very being of God, God was hurt for us. In love. But we can't end there without mentioning the resurrection because um, Jesus resurrected, praise the Lord, and he is mighty to save. He didn't just die and that was it. Right? We sing, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3, it gives us the very first prophecy of salvation. When the curse is pronounced over the Satan just after the fall, it says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's referring to the act of crucifixion. See, death will be swallowed up in victory and our Lord is bruised as the cost. It's referring to the real cost of salvation. There was a real cost and the Lord took it on our behalf. But he defeated it. But he was not done. He rose again. He rose again. So yeah, God in his essence is love. When we say God is love, he really is love from beginning unto eternity. He is love. And in that moment of crucifixion, that moment where It took that cost, God paying the cost for us in order for us to be saved. He took that on himself. And so my hope is that with this understanding of God as love, God who is love, when he tells us to love, he really 
He can really say that. Love. Love him. Love others. It's the best thing for you. It's the one thing that is like the essence of everything. God himself is love. The whole universe cries out. It's like planet, 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 planet. Galaxies, galaxies, galaxies. They're just doing this thing that kind of mirrors what love is. It's like God is like love, love, love. So my hope and prayer is that we as a community would be awoken to this love. The essence of our faith, the essence of it is that we are in relationship with God, that we are able to love him, that we are able to be in a loving relationship with him, not just after we die, but even now. God is with us. His name is Emmanuel. So um, just to end... I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to read from Revelation in the letter to the church of Laodicea. He says this, and, you know, not every little thing in here applies to us, Shilin, necessarily, but I do, wanna, I do want us to really just take this to heart, that God is calling us to be a community of love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as well. So I'll just end with this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Let's bow our heads and uh, I'll pray for us.